Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. It's me again, Damien Barr, with another Salon exclusive. This is where we share the books that we are most excited about. We're so thrilled to feature My Mess is a Bit of a Life, a joyful and whip-smart memoir on how to live with anxiety. It's written by Georgia Pritchett. Now, you might not know her name, but you will know the shows that she's worked on, Succession and Veep for which she has earned five Emmys, five Writers Guild Awards, a Golden Globe, a BAFTA and a Producers Guild Award. So I'm very glad she's taking time out from polishing all those prizes to write her memoir, My Mess is a Bit of a Life. There are huge endorsements for this book from some very funny people, including, of course, Julia Louise Dreyfus of Seinfeld fame, who is also, of course, in Veep. She says it is magnificent. And the fabulously hilarious Guardian columnist Marina Hyde, who is a voice of sanity and who we love, says it's a fantastically entertaining and surprising book. So if you're anything like me, you'll need to pause to recover from fits of laughter before coming back for more. Hello, I'm Georgia and my book is called My Mess is a Bit of a Life. I'm so thrilled to be on the Literary Salon podcast I'm such a fan of Damien's and of the podcast and I'm so honoured that my book is going to be featured along with basically some of the world's greatest writers. My mum thinks it's a travesty and a damning indictment of what is considered to be so-called literature today. But um, I've told her to take that up with you, Damien. So let me tell you about my book, which is a book about living and sometimes thriving with anxiety. It's not about how to stop worrying, rather the opposite. It's more like a how-to-worry manual. You're welcome. I think if you asked most people what they wanted in a book, they would probably, to a person, say hamsters, one-legged action men, the queen, budgies, questionable fashion choices, Robertson's giant limb, the word vagina, and Jimmy Osmond. And this book has literally every single one of those things. Like Middlemarch, it has secrets, it has lies, and it has an ongoing custody battle between my dog and me for ownership of my Starsky doll. Admittedly, I haven't finished Middlemarch, but I'm pretty sure that's where it was going. It's also very much in the vein of Carl Ove Nausgaard's My Struggle Books, if you're familiar with those. But it's approximately 900 pages shorter and with my main struggle involving trying to get my dogs fit into my Snoopy's outfits. It's an unflinching portrait of uncooperative pets. So to read you some chapters from the book, TV's most excellent Catherine Parkinson is here. You may know her from the IT crowd, The Honourable Woman, Humans or any number of other fabulous shows. First of all, she's going to read some chapters about my early life and how I started my worrying career very young. We're all doomed. My earliest memory is of sitting in my buggy in the snow. I was three. My mum said to my brother, don't fall over in the snow. Then my brother fell over in the snow. This made me realise, one, bad things happen. Two, bad things happen even if you tell the bad thing not to happen. Three, we're all doomed. Who am I? One day at nursery, 
my dad came to collect me. I remember looking up from my craning and seeing him at the door. I waited to be called, but nobody called me. Finally, when all the other children had gone, I was allowed to leave. As we walked home, Dad explained that when the teacher asked him who he had come for, he couldn't remember my name. So instead he described me. She's small. The teacher said he'd have to narrow it down. She's small with curly hair. The teacher said he'd have to narrow it down some more. In the end, the best he could come up with was Emily's friend. After that, I worried that I wasn't really me. I worried that I was a different friend of Emily's and nobody had noticed. Monsters under the bed I used to worry about the monsters under my bed a lot. Were they comfy enough? How could they sleep on a hard floor surrounded by crumbs and dust? Sometimes I slept under the bed so that they could have a turn on top. As I got older, I got more worried. I was actually on the front cover of a book called Learning to Adjust. And in answer to your question, no, I never did learn how to adjust. My mum tried to help with my anxiety by buying me a teddy, someone who I could tell my worries to. But you only had to look at the bear to see that he had some serious issues. His eyebrows were knitted in both senses, his little mouth was wonky and his ears looked extremely perturbed. I named him Anxious Bear. I tried to help him, but this was a bear with multiple neuroses. He was scared of heights, scared of noises, scared of being alone, scared of other people. He worried about illness, about death, about a meteor hitting the planet. He was one high-maintenance little ball of fur. It was exhausting. Now Catherine is going to read you another section about how if I was away from home, my fears only got worse. The Queen When we stayed with Nan and Bok, Nan had a habit of taking a plate while he was still eating and washing it up. Then she would start laying the table for the next meal. It's like she lived in a different time zone, always one meal ahead. If I left a piece of Lego on the floor or my differently abled action man, she would point an accusing finger at it and say, what if the Queen comes round for tea? She said this a lot. I began to be really scared of the Queen. The threat of one of her impromptu visits hovered over us constantly. I thought of her as a kind of gorilla monarch with impossibly high standards of hygiene who would ambush you in your home without warning. What kind of person bursts into people's houses, runs a disapproving finger across their dusty shelves and then demands tea? Sometimes when I had left my crayons out, I would lie in bed with my heart pounding, convinced I could hear the sound of horses' hooves and carriage wheels thundering up the cul-de-sac. Once I became a teenager, things got worse. One way of knowing you have crossed from girlhood to womanhood is that men stop furtively masturbating at you from bushes and instead start shouting things at you from cars. It's a beautiful moment. There should be some kind of ceremony. Now I had new things to worry about. By the time I was 16, I was buying a lot of pregnancy tests. Not for myself, for my friend Karen, who constantly thought she was pregnant, despite the fact that she had never had sex. I heard they can jump, she'd explain while we stood in the queue to pay for yet another test. When the test came back negative, she would say... Well, I'm stagger-blasted. It was a stagger-blasting time. Here is Catherine reading about a particularly worrying day I had at secondary school. Woodwork Our woodwork teacher had a bald head 
a moustache and a Morris Minor Traveller with wood trimming. One day, some older boys came into the lab while I was looking for locusts and turned on all the gas taps and claimed the woodwork teacher had just sent off for a Thai bride. I felt sick. I wasn't sure if it was the gas or the Thai bride. They also claimed that the woodwork teacher hated spending money. They said if his wife was ill, he would come into chemistry lessons and try to make medicine for her by looking at the ingredients on a packet and finding the nearest equivalent chemicals. I watched a woodwork teacher closely after this. He seemed to treat his car the same way he treated his wife. He didn't spend any money on it, and if it had a problem, he wouldn't take it to the garage. Eventually, the car gave up on him, but he refused to pay the £20 for it to be picked up and taken to the scrapyard. So, using the woodwork tools from school, he started sawing the car into pieces. It took weeks. By the time he had finished, the tools were too blunt for us to make our pipe racks and our woodwork lessons. To fool the bin men and avoid a fine, he smuggled the pieces of Morris Minor into bin bags and put them out with the rubbish over the course of several months. I used to worry that if the bin men did check his rubbish, they might find pieces of Thai bride too. The rest of the book covers the time when I left home and started to try to make it as a writer. I was extremely lucky because very early on in my career I started to make a living. This was because a vending machine near where I lived was faulty. I would go to buy a marathon and put in 50p and it would give me £1 change. This machine quickly became my main source of income. And food. When it was finally fixed I had to stay with friends. Catherine will now read us a section about an experience I had while sofa surfing. Snails. Staying at other people's houses sometimes presented a bigger problem than different pillows. One house had dry rot, wet rot, mould, spores and a mouse situation. One morning as I was making myself breakfast, I wondered what the strange smell was. My question was answered when my toast popped out of the toaster and simultaneously a flaming mouse was catapulted out of the other side. It was both spectacular and deeply upsetting. Another of the places I stayed in was infested with snails. I was scared of snails, so when I slept on the floor I used to draw a line of salt around my whole body. It looked like the chalk outline of a murder victim. But it worked. I woke up one morning and my friend discovered a snail trail going across her pillow, then a gap where her head had been, and then the snail trail resuming. I felt it would have been worse if the snail trail hadn't resumed after the gap. I also felt it was time to find my own place. After that, there are some chapters about having children. I was so desperate to have children and found it so impossible to get pregnant that I remember watching a news report about a baby being snatched from hospital. I remember the three thoughts I had as I watched the report. One, ooh, I should snatch a baby from a hospital. Two, no, I shouldn't do that because I want to actually experience the miracle of childbirth. Three, and also it's wrong. In that order. About two seconds after I finally did get pregnant, I bought a book of baby names, but no name seemed good enough for my baby. Some parents like to name their children after their favourite places, such as India or Atlanta. A friend of mine named his children after his favourite islands, Iona, Sky. I briefly considered Sheppy or dogs or where the baby was conceived, infertility clinic. Then again, other parents combine their names to form a new name, 
Bronwyn and Ian becomes Brian. That's not a good example. Mike and Kelly becomes Mike. No, wait. Dave and Veronica becomes Dave. This is actually harder than it looks. Pete and Teresa becomes Pete. Okay, forget that. Of course, what I didn't realise was that once I had children, my life was going to change forever in most unexpected ways. And if you want to know what happens, you'll have to buy the book or track down Catherine Parkinson and get her to act it out for you. Thank you so much. A massive thanks to Georgia and Catherine for giving us all a laugh. If you'd like to discover more from this terribly funny memoir, you will need to follow George's advice and buy a copy of the book. My Mess is a Bit of a Life by Georgia Pritchett is published by Faber and available now in all good bookshops. Or you can get a copy from us at our shop on bookshop.org where we've got lists of recommendations from all our salon stars. And for more news from the salon, you can sign up for our newsletter at www.theliterarysalon.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Join us again soon. And in the meantime, happy reading.